Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.32 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the, oh God, it's Monday the 13th. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is Monday the 13th. Forget Friday the 13th, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday the 13th, November, uh, Monday the 13th, 2023. This is episode 821 of Bitcoin and the Circle P is open for business. Uh, We are presenting Cabanas Namata. These are cabins for rent in Brazil, by the way, and it's like out. It's not in a you know a, a big urban environment. This is this is out there, kind of in the sticks, right? And this is presented to you by DeFi Yogi. And I always kind of wondered what Yogi the Yogi part stood for in DeFi Yogi, and now now I know um, because he's got these three cabins, but he's also got this thing called. Flor de Vida, or Flower of Life. And it's like sort of, if from what I gather, it's sort of a retreat. I'm not going to, you know, really get into it today. Uh, I'm going to uh, put together a little bit more from DeFi Yogi as to what this actually is. But it does look like it's a retreat for meditation, for, you know, doing, you know, there's, I'm sure yoga is involved in all of this. But that's sort of on top of his three cabins that he has. And he has Cabana Hobbit, Cabana Namata, and Cabana Sobre Amata. And each one of these are cabins that are sort of, you know, kind of in the in the area. Um, and they're pretty reasonably priced, honestly. Uh, like uh, Cabana uh, the Hobbit is like going for, right now on Airbnb, it's going for $138 a night. Uh, so... And it is built like a little hobbit hole, but it's not actually in the, you know, in the side of a hill. It's actually a a built structure, but it's definitely built to mimic the look of a hobbit house that you would find in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, or as described in the actual books themselves. Get a hold of uh, DeFi Yogi if you want to go stay at one of these three cabins, or if you want to hit him up about the uh, uh, Florida Vita. You can do that and uh, make sure that you tell him that he that you heard it here on the Circle P. And again, that's uh, Floor Davida, and then he's got three cabins. So there's a wide range of offerings that DeFi Yogi has. But if you want to take part of any of them, make sure that you let him know that uh, you heard it here on the Circle P. Now into the news: <clears throat> Bitcoin redefining ownership. This is written by L.J. Huang out of Bitcoin Magazine, and it's the winner of the 2023 Bitcoin Magazine Student Essay Contest. Let's see how this student went about this. The traditional way in which our society constructs ownership is inefficient. 
The Uber for X model solves part of the problem by exploiting the unused value of some long tail assets. But the reason behind the existence of such a huge volume of long tail assets remains a puzzle. I submit that they exist because our conception of ownership is outdated. I propose that individuals only need to own Bitcoin. By doing so, we will embrace a full-scale sharing economy backed by Bitcoin, paving the way for a hyper-Bitcoinized civilization. Born and raised in China during a decade of a brewing housing bubble, I grew up hearing stories of some property value growing tenfold, or someone suddenly receiving a large sum of money from a property developer for dismantling their old houses to build new houses. Indeed, getting the one-time Chinese urbanization dividend on land value was rewarding to many. Yet, apart from the inherent systematic risks of the real estate market, houses are really hard to deal with. High taxes and management fees, difficult tenants, countless malfunctions on the depreciating property, etc., etc. As I migrated to the United States to pursue my higher education, I discovered that for millennials, modern American family values are still widely accepted. To many of them, success means owning multiple vehicles, a main residence, and a beach house as their pied de terre. People keep purchasing and giving their life savings to mega corporations in the automobile, real estate, and energy industries. As a minimalist myself, I was never a fan of the consumerism powered by modern capitalism. Thoreau asserted, that a man's necessities consisted of food, shelter, clothing, and fuel. If Thoreau were here today in our very developed world, I would tell him that one just needs their private key. For years, people have been trying to understand what Bitcoin is. Whether people believe that it is a digital version of gold or a speculative stock on the blockchain, I think none of these definitions capture the essence of Bitcoin. In my view, Bitcoin is a currency that is not bound by any sovereignty, a belief that can be embraced by the entire humanity, the truth that Thoreau alluded to, as no one except yourself can take it away from you. Bitcoiners have a road to freedom. Now, one can easily borrow against their Bitcoin to get any kind of fiat currency to spend anywhere in the world. As the value of Bitcoin goes up and fiat currencies depreciate over time due to roaring inflation, the interest from the Bitcoin loan is not a problem. Many Bitcoiners have already been practicing this lifestyle by being a digital nomad, traveling around the world, educating more people about Bitcoin, and living their lives to the fullest. Eventually, I foresee a civilization where we need to own nothing but Bitcoin. One can earn credit from different countries or borrow against their Bitcoin to spend for daily necessities, much like the fiat currency we get today. Nations will no more than property managers. Well, hold on. Nations will be no more than property managers, organizing a sharing economy where people can live in a long-term or short-term place. We will be living in a world where one can easily travel to meet people, learn their cultures, and enjoy their freedom. And until then, and that, that literally is sort of like the last sentence. It says, till then. I don't, I honestly wonder about the other essays that were submitted to Bitcoin Magazine if this one was the winner. It's not like I don't, it's not that I don't like it. Okay, it's 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 pretty well written. It's brief. 
and I get it, but there is a major assumption here. The assumption is what? That you're not married and you don't want to get married. That you don't have kids and that you're not going to want kids later. And that you're good roaming around the country and not owning a single thing. I wholeheartedly disagree with this essay and this basic assumption that you will own nothing but Bitcoin. It sounds way too much like the Klaus Schwab bullshit, right? And I don't want to have any part of that. And for me, I have assumptions myself, but I keep my assumptions for myself, not not to myself, because I'm going to tell you what my assumption is, but this is my assumption for myself, not for you and not for anyone else. I like home ownership because I like planting trees and watching them grow. I like planting bushes and watching them grow. I like designing a property to infiltrate water. I'm not going to do that on somebody else's fucking piece of property. It's not going to happen. I'm not doing work for somebody else to improve their situation unless I'm going to get paid a mother load of money. I'm just not. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my attention. You know, this, this whole thing of, quote, many Bitcoiners already practicing the lifestyle of being a digital nomad and traveling around the world and educating more people about Bitcoin. Hey, that's great if you want to do it. That's not me, right? This completely precludes the wishes and dreams of everybody else other than the person that is not married, doesn't have kids, or even if they are married and have kids, that their entire family 100% doesn't want to live anywhere. They just want to roam the world. And if that's you, that's fine. That's an assumption you make for yourself. But trying to needle people into getting them to basically just ditch having a home if they want. Or even, you know, okay, I'm not a fan of like having 12 vehicles because you can't drive. I'm a fan of having two vehicles. Why? Because if one breaks, you have a backup. If you only have one car, you literally have no cars. Because at one point or another, something's going to happen to that car, right? It's either the engine's going to blow out or something's got the fuel line's going to rupture, something. And at one point or another, for at least a day, you're not going to have the ability to go freaking anywhere, right? Or worse, if it's a blown engine, Dude, you're, you are literally shit out of luck for quite a while, right? So two cars, one as a backup is always a good thing. Now, <clears throat> I just want to say, like I said, I understand where this kid's coming from. I get it, but it's a kid, right? This is, this is a younger person and it, that attitude of, of just, wanting to own nothing. I see it coming up. I see it rising. But honestly, unless you've got a little piece of land to call your own, there, there's something intrinsic about a human being that absolutely wants that at one point in their life. Now, that doesn't apply to everybody. There's always going to be some people that literally never give a shit about owning a piece of land. I've known a few of them. But when 
the expectation is for me to fall in line. Yeah, you can shove that straight up your butt. I'm just it's just never going to happen. And we do this all the time in Bitcoin. We make assumptions about other people. And we this is ne- it's never I was about to say we need to stop doing that, but it's never going to stop. We're always going to be making assumptions that are based on our own wants and needs and project that onto other people, whether it's about Bitcoin or not. This is just part of one of the problems of being human. And this is why we always get sad because we we expect people to act a certain way and they're never going to. We're projecting. So what I get out of this, what I get out of this essay is that you can really only do for yourself. You can help people as they, as they need help, but prescriptions of how they should live, you need to keep that shit to yourself. Now, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. Pet rock JPEGs on Bitcoin and Ethereum sell for over $100,000. They're back. Decrypt. Sander Lutz is writing this one. This week, half giddy, half cautious optimism spread across crypto circles as Bitcoin surged past $37,000 for the first time in 18 months on excitement regarding the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF and an and Ethereum pumped past $2,100 on similar news of a pending ETH ETF application from BlackRock. There's clearly an emergent hope within crypto that the bottom finally is in, but to those who protest that it could never be a true bull market without obscenely expensive, seemingly pointless JPEGs trading hands, well, there's now a region to rejoice on that front as well. Because on Friday, two separate on-chain images of illustrated rocks, yes, rocks, one hosted on Ethereum as an NFT and the other inscribed on Bitcoin as an ordinal, sold for six figures respective, <laughs> respectively on secondary markets. An NFT from the EtherRocks collection, EtherRock number 95, traded hands this morning for 100 ETH, or just over $209,000. Just hours prior, though, an ordinal from the visually identical Bitcoin rock collection sold for 2.99 BTC, which is worth just over $111,000 at writing. <laughs> The JPEGs don't come with any affiliated memberships or perks or anything that doesn't meet the eye. They are, quite simply, illustrated images of nearly indistinguishable gray boulders that don't even feature backgrounds. Bitcoin Rock number 75 has sold for 3 BTC on the secondary market. Congratulations, Scobra 9000 on the sale. A warm welcome to Grant W. Schneider, already a legendary collector in the Ordinals community who has now taken it to the highest level. Oh, for God's sakes, that's from Bitcoin Rocks on November the 10th, 2023. It's a, it's a tweet. Right? They're congratulating each other of getting rid of their Bitcoin for a digital rock. Now, there's nothing else in this article that we need to go through because you know the rest. It's stupid. It was stupid when the when these things first came out, that the Ethereum rocks first came out just on Ether. And we laughed and we howled and we told each other how stupid this was. And it is. There's nothing about this that is even remotely smart. Nobody, nobody is really going to get any utility out of these things. 
there's nothing about them that is worth anything. But what does it what does it illustrate? It illustrates that it's possible that we are and I've said it before, and I think that this is going to happen. We're going to be looking at a stupidity market. I was about to say altcoin market, but altcoins now that we've got these NFTs and ordinals and all that kind of stuff, we're just I'm just going to spread it out to the stupidity market, right? That includes altcoins and NFTs and Bitcoin ordinals and bro 20s, whatever. All of that crap, which is inherently stupid because there's no real good value to be found in any of these things, are going to explode. It's going to melt faces. And no, you're not going to time the market right. And this is where I will I will say I do hope that I project onto you that this is stupid activity and it's going to get people really, really hurt. And I would hope that you do not take part of this. Okay, please don't buy the Ethereum rocks. Please don't buy the Bitcoin ordinal rocks or the monkey JPEGs or the, I don't know what else is coming out. Maybe the, somebody's going to do a Bodie McBoatface series. Don't do it. Just, just stay away. You'll be safer staying away than wandering into that particular fray. I guarantee it. Now, FTX is back in the news. <laughs> they file a billion-dollar lawsuit against Bybit over asset withdrawals. Amaka Nawachoa is writing this one for Cointelegraph. The FTX bankruptcy case headed by John J. Ray III has filed a lawsuit against Bybit, its investment arm, Marana, and various executives. The aim is to recover funds and digital assets that Bybit withdrew from FTX just before its collapse with the current value close to $1 billion. The suit claims that Bybit used its VIP access and ties with FTX staff to withdraw significant cash and digital assets from Marana, Time Research, another entity linked by Bybit, and executives just before the collapse of FTX. During FTX's November 2022 withdrawal difficulties, FTX employees tracked VIP customer withdrawal request in a spreadsheet labeled VIP Request Prioritize Settlement. The lawsuit alleges that FTX's settlement team went to great lengths to prioritize Marana's significant withdrawals resulting in over $327 million in transfers to Marana. The total value of assets withdrawn by Bybit and its executives from FTX has now reportedly reached almost $1 billion in value. The lawsuit claims that Bybit has imposed limitations on the FTX estate, preventing the withdrawal of assets exceeding $125 million on the Bybit exchange. Allegedly, Bybit is using these assets as leverage to seek recovery for a remaining balance of $20 million that it could not withdraw from FTX before its collapse. The lawsuit claims that in October of 2021, a Bybit executive privately revealed to FTX that the company controlled BitDAO, now known as Mantle, despite presenting BitDAO as a decentralized organization run by community members. Then, in May of 2023, Bybit approached the FTX bankruptcy estate without reversing the transaction, even though... The value of the BIT tokens, approximately $50 million at the time, far outweighed the value of the FTT tokens, which were only valued at $4 million. 
After FTX rejected the illogical proposal, BitDAO swiftly rebranded as Mantle, introducing MNT tokens for BitHolders to convert at a one-to-one ratio. As FTX began its conversion, BitDAO allegedly disabled it and held a community vote to decide on restricting FTX from converting its tokens. According to the lawsuit, FTX informed Bybit that the action violated the automatic stay in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Despite this, the community vote passed, with votes seemingly linked to Bybit executives. Notably, the fifth largest vote came from the wallet DTOH.ETH, identified as Marana Ventures, a Marana subsidy led by David Toe. The legal action is pursuing compensatory and and punitive damages from Bybit regarding the token scheme and the assets held on its platform. All right, so all that to say that the amount of straight-up chicanery that is going on to this day, not went on, but still going on to this day, by anybody associated with FTX, directly associated, which means that they were a customer of theirs, they used them as a trading platform, anything. The amount of chicanery is eye-watering. Everybody connected to FTX has their hands dirty. In in this, this particular example, where they're restructuring companies and renaming companies and then you know, doing all this weird stuff behind the scenes. That is exactly why the SEC cannot get their collective shit together. They don't know how to even treat this kind of behavior. It is clearly unethical. A buy bit on for their portion of this is not acting in an ethical manner. They're doing everything they can to to literally get all of their assets out of FTX and they don't care that it's going to impact all of the actual retail customers. Now, do I think retail customers should be given priority over the institutional customers? I hate to sound like a a red commie bastard here, but I'm going to have to say yes, because all of the institutions that were involved in this little chain of chicanery, that's where all the money came from, was retail. This is why we're all constantly trying to tell everybody in the world, buy Bitcoin, but hold Bitcoin and not only hold it, hold it yourself. Don't let these people get it because they will start renaming their companies. They will start giving you tokens and or trading in the tokens that you thought you had for these other tokens that are then going to be claimed by John J. Ray III and his bankruptcy guys over at FTX, and you're still not going to get them. No matter what these fucking people do, sadly enough, it's people like John J. Ray who can actually see through the veil of all this crap and say, nope, that's not going to happen. So if you're now a customer of Bybit, and somehow or another you're holding anything of any value with Bybit, well, you can probably forget about that shit too. Because this FTX stuff is nowhere close to finished. I do think that we're, we are now, you know, in the Bitcoin space, we're coming out of the storm. But everybody that's connected with the FTX thing, they're going to be at this shit for years, for years. Thankfully, though, it looks like the whole FTX and, and all the rest of the people that are associated with it, it looks like we are seeing a generalized decoupling from Bitcoin 
from that mess. And that's a good thing. So that's where I think that that's going. Now, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust discount has shrunk yet again as ETF optimism mounts. This is Stephen Graves out of Decrypt. Optimism surrounding the potential approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF has helped to drive the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust discount to 10.35% below its net asset value, which is its lowest level since July all the way back in 2021, per data from YCharts. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, or GBTC, uh, enabled investors to trade shares and trusts that hold large pools of Bitcoin, with each share tracking the price of Bitcoin. Grayscale has long harbored ambitions to convert the trust into a spot exchange-traded fund, which would enable it to trade like a stock on national securities exchanges, such as NYSE, ARCA, or NASDAQ, according to Grayscale Chief Legal Officer Craig Salm. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has to date rejected each and every application for a spot Bitcoin ETF, including Grayscale's, but in October of 2023, the Court of Appeals ordered the regulator to review Grayscale's application after the firm sued the SEC for refusing to allow the fund's conversion into an ETF. All right, so... It's just what's important here is that the the net asset value, the NAV, is starting to actually come in line with the price of or well actually the price of the trades are coming in line with NAV. There used to be like as much as a twenty-five percent discount, which means that if you were gonna buy a share of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, you were you're you're basically getting this huge deal. The problem is you can't sell that until the lockup period, which I think is like six months or something like that. But that's for people buying it now or people that were buying it at the discount. The people that bought it either at a premium or at an, at, at, at equity, I guess is, is another way to put it where it was like, you know, the, the share of uh, how much Bitcoin you owned actually represented how much you paid for it. Those people have been wrecked for well over, like, I think it's three years now. So everybody that bought, you know, there there was a time when, when this thing was trading at a premium, you were paying like 5% more than what it would cost you just to buy the Bitcoin itself to own a share of GBTC. And those people that are still holding those shares that they bought at that price have been slaughtered, absolutely slaughtered. So they're the ones, anybody that's holding when they bought either at at par or, you know, at a premium, they are now starting to see some a little bit of relief, but they're not there yet. They're still 10.3% down if they bought at parity. But as as the value of the GBTC, the, as, as the value comes up and gets out of this discount area, it actually may help GBTC get their shit converted over to a spot Bitcoin ETF. But we, again, we will have to see. But with the price of Bitcoin going up and this whole ETF talk, Grayscale may actually emerge from all this unscathed. Now, do they deserve to? I don't think so. Barry Silbert and DCG have done some heinous crap. And so, I mean, literally some of the worst actions that we've seen are actually were actually done by Barry Silbert and his group at DCG, which includes 
Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and uh, Grayscale Ethereum and all their their bullshit trust, right? All of that. The Genesis guys, the Gemini guys, there were Genesis is part of Grayscale too, but the Gemini guys, anybody connected with this have been operating in, in ways that are honestly probably just as bad as all the guys at FTX and BlockFi and all the and this this whole Bybit thing that I just went over, they're all operating that way. Yet somehow or another, it looks like Grayscale and all of their people are probably, well, not probably, it looks like they may have a very real chance to come out of this without bankruptcy, without charges being filed, and somehow or another making a shit ton of money. Is it fair? No. Is it po- possible? Absolutely. The real question is, is it probable? And my gut feeling is yes. I think it's probable that they actually get out of this shit unscathed. But we'll have to see. Cypher chat. Encrypted messaging over the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Again, I'm going. this is important, so I'll read it again. Encrypted messaging over the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Hello world. This is Cypher chat. This is written by Second Light for secondlight.site. And actually, the L in Second Light is actually the number one. So if you want to go find out more about this after I read it, that's where you're going to go. <clears throat> I have been building this new project in my spare time over the past few months as a, <clears throat> excuse me, as a way to become a better developer and learn more about how nodes operate under the hood. <clears throat> This blog post will give a bit of a background on the origin of the project, highlight some key features, and explain how it works at a high level. Now, I'm going to just skip the background and go right into the KeySend app recap. The idea of using KeySend messages to create chat-like experiences over Lightning is not a new one. There are other existing and previous implementations of this feature. Some examples are Sphinx, Thunderhub, and WhatsApp. The first two have a product scope that is much larger than only sending and receiving messages, and the last one is a proof of concept that was created in the early days of Lightning. While Sphinx covers decentralized social media and Thunderhub is an entire Lightning node manager, I wanted to keep the focus for this new Lightning Messenger app very narrow. The goal is to create a great user experience for private chatting, between nodes, lightning nodes on the network, similar to something like Signal, keeping in mind some of the constraints of the protocol itself. When showing off a KeySend demo during the first uh, Shock the Web hackathon presented by Bolt.Fund, Boomi from Albi said that, quote, you can even imagine if you allow Loading the messages from the user's wallet maybe in the future, that would be something like a web-based, lightning-based, decentralized chat. WhatsApp is a client application for LND that demonstrates how the Lightning Network can be used as an end-to-end encrypted, onion-routed, censorship-resistant, peer-to-peer chat message protocol. That quote was from the readme file of WhatsApp. So, in that light, I hope that the Bitcoin community finds this new offering in the Lightning app ecosystem a fun and useful tool that lives up to some of the expectations set when key send messages were first being discussed. 
Now, so that's what's going on with this whole thing that's come out called CypherChat. C-I-P-H-E-R-C-H-A-T. Again, an encrypted messaging over the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Now, this whole thing is has been really, you know, is is really kind of important because it would be nice to be able to get a hold of node operators to say, hey, I want to close the channel. And and if I know who the node the other node operator is, I might do that through Noster. But I've got a lot of channels, right? I got a lot of channels and I don't know all of the people that have that have opened those channels to me. So if I have to close one, I don't want to do a forced close. That's the last on my list. I've had to do it a couple of times because I cannot get a hold of the of the node operator, right? Sure, I can do it through Thunderhub, but what's the problem? Are you looking at your Lightning node messages? Is there a very clear spot where you can do that? And the answer is no. You might disagree with me, but the answer is no. To a regular normie user that is used to regular normie user experiences, the answer to that question is no freaking way. It is not evident where to go to look at messages sent from one lightning node to another lightning node. And and I'm not talking about reading other people's chats. I just need to figure out who's trying to communicate with me. And I need to know that somebody that I communicated with over my lightning node was has seen the message and has responded to the message. And that user experience does not exist. So my hope for CypherChat is that it sort of makes it very evident who is trying to communicate with you over your node. And you know what would be a great way to do that shit? Have that piped to a DM to my Nostr uh, NPUB key. That would be, I would love to have to have it to where I could go to CypherChat and say, here's my Lightning node, here's my NPUB. Yes, I have associated those two things, but I've already done that. If you don't want to do that, I understand. We'll have to figure out something else. But for the sake of argument, that's what I'm talking about here, is that <clears throat> I need a way for it to be readily evident that anybody who has ever tried to communicate directly to my lightning node with a message that I get that message. I don't care how I get it. I just need to be able to see it. And one of the best user experiences that I've been having over the last year is my Noster experience. It's easy. It makes sense. It's like if I get a DM and somehow or another it it's it it's like I don't know tagged with the oh by the way this message came through your lightning node, then I know that it's about the lightning node. Otherwise, I'm not I chances that I'm going to see it is really fucking slim, and we need to start communicating to each other through our lightning nodes, not with garbage messages, not with cat pictures, but with like hey I need to open another channel with you, or hey I need to close this channel. Or, hey, I'm about to do this or whatever. That Those messages are important messages and I need to be able to see them. And I'm not seeing them. And every time that I've tried to communicate with somebody about something I need to do with a channel or something, they never get back to me. And it's not because they don't like me. I'll bet you it's because they didn't know they got a message in their lightning node, even if they used Thunderhub. Because the user experience on that side is that bad. 
So hopefully CypherChat will have a way to get get us out of all that. But again, encrypted messaging over the Bitcoin Lightning Network brought to you by CypherChat. Joe Martin Music is one of the early adopters of value for value and, and Wavelake and, you know, making music and releasing it to the public. And hopefully the public will give him money back, has released a new song called The Jetsons. And here's his write up about it. If there was ever a song to do it, this would be the song. Hidden in the lyrics of the Jetsons are 12 words. These 12 words, in the right order, will unlock a Bitcoin wallet containing 1 million Satoshis. I wanted to give something back to my listeners in the community, so this is my gift to you. I will be releasing clues on how to more easily find the words over the coming weeks. Every two weeks, which is the same as the difficulty adjustment, I will release a new clue to the prize. I will release five clues in total and then leave the prize to be claimed. You can check the on-chain address to see if funds have been claimed here. And then he gives the BC1 address, which I'm not going to read because it's just numbers and, and letters. So if you are like looking for a puzzle to solve to get about, you know, right now somewhere around 350 bucks, somewhere around there. Uh, Joe Martin has released a song with 12 words, which is the seed phrase for a Bitcoin wallet. And if you are going to be able to solve that, then you're going to get the money. But what I love about what he's done here is set it up for continual transactions with his listener base. And that's coming out of the fact that he releases a new clue on how to re or how to find the words and in what order they should appear every two weeks, which means what? You keep coming back to this song, and you keep coming back to Joe Martin and Joe Martin music. It's it's amazing. I was bitching on, like, what, last uh, Wednesday, the last show of the week last Wednesday, about the fact that I suck at marketing. This one, this one right here, this, this one million sat giveaway, this actually makes sense to me. This is actually providing some kind of, not only an ongoing interaction with your crew, but it, 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 it not only does it keep, you know, keep you coming back for more, it's ongoing. It lasts, it has a, a temporal component. It's not just a one and done thing. And this is one thing that I might actually try to emulate because this one doesn't make me feel sick to my stomach because there's real effort that Joe has to put out to keep this thing going. And that actually makes sense. That's what I was missing in the marketing scheme is this proof of work. Joe Martin gets it. That's the thing. So if you don't know who Joe Martin is, just type in Joe Martin over in Wavelake and go find his music. He's actually pretty damn good. Now we'll finish this section of the show off with this note by Odell, fuck this dystopia. He has apparently, I guess, gotten an email from Swan or somehow he's come across this message from Swan to their customers and it reads thusly. Our banking custodial partners have made an update that could affect your account. In light of the recent proposed ruling from FinCEN regarding Bitcoin mixing, they will no longer service clients who directly interact with Bitcoin mixing services such as Wasabi, Samurai, and similar services. What this means for you, please be advised that depositing directly from 
or withdrawing directly to a mixing wallet may result in the termination of your account with our banking and custodial partners. To prevent any potential issues going forward, you can update your withdrawal address from SWAN dashboard. We at SWAN fully support your right for privacy. We are actively lobbying against government regulations, yada, yada, yada. That's not the important part. The important part is, is that if you are withdrawing somehow or another, you're depositing Bitcoin into SWAN. And I, I don't know, I don't understand that one because from what I understood, SWAN Bitcoin didn't allow you to deposit. So I don't know what's going on here. But it says, if you're depositing directly from or withdrawing Bitcoin directly to a mixing wallet, they're going to terminate your account. Um, they didn't say how many hops away from a mixing wallet you can be. So let's just assume that there's that there's no uh, prescription on that. What does that mean? It means if you want to mix Bitcoin before you send it to Swan, and I don't know why you want to send it to Swan because they have always said you need to get your Bitcoin off of our off away from us as quickly as possible. So I, I'm very confused about this depositing to Swan thing. If somebody knows what the hell happened, please tell me because as far as I knew, Swan never took possession of Bitcoin through deposits. They would take your fiat money, convert it to Bitcoin, and then you could and then they would tell you to get it off their their shit out of their wallet as quickly as possible. I don't know what this depositing to Swan is all about. This is the first I've heard and it's kind of freaking me out. But if you want to deposit Bitcoin to Swan and you want to go with the mixer, then you would, I guess, get it to a mixer and then take that to just another different wallet that is not a mixing wallet and then send it to Swan. Conversely, Getting Bitcoin out of Swan, you should take it to a regular wallet that is just a standard wallet and then send that to a mixer. But again, I don't know if they're looking at hops because that's a one hop deal, right? And if they're saying, well, because they can track it. Oh, they, hey, they said this customer sent it to this wallet and then this wallet sent it directly to a mixing wallet. We're going to terminate the account. That's not how this reads, but this is very distressing. I agree with Matt O'Dell. Fuck this dystopia. And now let's read the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We got oil rebounding apparently today. One and a half percent to the upside. West Texas Intermediate now listing at $78.36 per barrel. Brent North Sea is likewise up one and a half points to $82.64 a barrel. Natural gas is up four, wow, 4.22%, $3.16 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up almost 2% to $2.23 per gallon. Gold is up two thirds of a point. Silver is up 0.2. Platinum is up 2.15. Copper is up two points. Palladium is up scant. Ag. Looks like we're all in the green except for cotton, which is down 0.09%. The biggest winner today uh, looks to be soybean, 2.5% to the upside. Live cattle is up 0.8%. Lean hogs up damn near 2%. Feeder cattle 
up a half point. The Dow is up a third of a point. The S&P is up 0.07. NASDAQ is the only one down today, 0.17% off. And the S&P mini is up 0.08%. Bonds have mostly gained in yields today. The 30-year after 24 basis points is up uh, to 4.75%. Yield the 20 year is up to 4.9%. The 10 year is 4.6%. Everything else is pretty much in the green except for three different bonds, but we won't get into that. The DXY is down almost a quarter point to 105.65. 36,890 dollars is the price of Bitcoin today. Uh, average transaction value is 0.28 BTC, median transaction value is. 20 cents, which what means what? That means ordinals are ruling the day right now. I don't know why people continue to do this. To me, it's just a flat ass attack on Bitcoin because there's absolutely no value you can get from owning or trading a fucking ordinal. It, I mean, maybe in the short term. Yeah, sure. I guess if that's all you think about is fiat terms and you're using Bitcoin to do that, then it is an attack on Bitcoin and you can go fuck yourself. Block times are 10 minutes and 35 seconds <clears throat> per block basis. 80, no, sorry, 0.89 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And whoa, holy shit, 100 and 19 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period, dudes. We have had a difficulty adjustment, 3.36% to the upside. We are now chilling out at 64.67 trillion. Hash rate is up 7.54%. We are now in the 500 region, 508.4 exahashes per second is the hash rate. And 7.7 United States pennies is the price of your shitcoin indicator, which is Dogecoin. $718.1 billion of market cap. That is 5.5% of gold's entire market cap. You can get eh, 19.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,541,168.03 of. And 5,283 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $194.1 million, uh, 14,575 nodes, 62,555 payment channels that we know about, and 81.5% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Now, the mempool, 230 blocks waiting to clear, carrying 200,000 unconfirmed transactions. High priorities are going for 97 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities for 68. And anything under uh, 8.5 Satoshis per V-byte are being purred for mempools around the world. And the hash rate, according to mempool.space, is sitting at 422. So quite a bit distance away from 508 exahashes per second. We'll split the difference. Let's just call it 475 exahashes per second. Uh, I'm only going to be able to do a few of the uh, boostograms for last the last show, episode 820, Internal Ratter Service. With a striper boost, Bully Steed. Uh, keep on keeping on. Thank you for bringing the Bitcoin news in, in, and in an entertaining fashion. Pitar with the striper boost helping you help me. Jen and Indy, 5,000 Satoshis. Fatif ass kicking rant, chef's kiss, <laughs> and Jesper 178. 
3,500 sats says Jack Spirico used to be in a marketing before podcasting. Maybe he could be the mentor you're looking for. Either way, keep up the good work, sir. You are the real deal. Thank you, Jasper. I, yeah, I, I've, I've thought about that quite a bit, but you know, Jack has basically said on many, many occasions that he's not going to mentor shit. He doesn't want to do any of that. You've, you'd have to be a really good close friend to somebody like Jack who makes enough money on his own podcast uh, to have him, you know, really, truly, you know, get in the weeds with you and try to figure out what, you know, do you have a quiet, you know, is the product of quality? How could it be better? And, you know, how do you market it? And what are the marketing tools and all that kind of stuff? I don't think the man has time for it, but yes, he was definitely, he definitely knows how to market. And I, I, he would probably tell me just do what I do. And I'm like, I'm, I can see what you do, but I don't know how you go about it. I, you know, like what's your process when you're, you know, I want to know how people think about marketing, not what they do, because otherwise you're just copying somebody. Right. And that's, eh. It doesn't give me the the good gut feels that I'm looking for, but whatever. I I totally hear what you're saying. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. My apologies for not reading all of the boostograms. There were a lot, which I while I appreciate. There's another reason why I'm not really able to to go into all of them today. It was going to take a long time to do. And I got it. My kid, my son fractured his thumb on the playground at school the week before last. He's got an orthopod meeting here in about an hour. I got to get this done and get it out. So that's that's one of the reasons why I, I, I skipped a, like a lot of the boostograms. It doesn't mean that they're not important to me because they are. And I love reading them. If you feel slighted, I understand, but cut me a break, man. I got to take my kid to the dog because he's like, like literally the only, the only one in my family who's actually broken or even fractured a bone. Honestly, chicks dig scars, you know, glorious forever, you know, all that. (laughs) Good for you, kid. IRS raided by crypto investors as industry puts up fight against United States tax proposal. This is out of Coindesk. Jesse Hamilton, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me. Uh, the internal, no, hold on. Let me, let me do this. The internal revenue services audio only hearing today will draw views from the crypto industry on what threats the digital advocates, asset advocates see embedded in the proposed approach being contemplated for cryptocurrencies. Uh, the United States Internal Revenue Service is gathering the final words now from a crypto sector that is arguing that the agency's proposal for a digital assets taxation regime is an existential threat to investor privacy and to decentralized crypto projects. After a comment deadline and a public hearing on Monday, the U.S. Department of the Treasury's tax arm will have a mountain of more than 120 thousand comments to sift through aided in some instances by the wordsmithing of artificial intelligence tied to such campaigns as the Lessee Punk Army's Treasury Raid. We'll get into that here in a second. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just bear with me. Monday's hearing, confined to audio only, 
will gather prominent crypto advocates to lay out their arguments on this proposal that maps out how crypto brokers and investors would report transactions to the IRS. The new taxation system, which will not become final until IRS officials weigh the input, rewrite a final version, and approve it, has drawn industry ire that's partially focused on how the proposal would define a broker that needs to comply. Quote, the digital asset middleman category stretches the statutory language beyond its breaking point in direct contravention of the relevant legislative history, the DeFi Education Fund argued in a comment letter. The current language of the proposal inexorably leads to the conclusion that the proposed regulations could treat every single participant in the blockchain technology stack as a broker. So, there you go. <clears throat> that's, what's, that's what this is about. You've heard this before, but let me, let me do this a couple of other things before we get into this Lassie Punk's uh, Bitcoin army thing. Well, you, you've seen it before, I guarantee it. Despite the objections, there is a general bright side for a crypto taxation approach in the United States, establishing rules and forms for how investors report their gains, eliminating one of the central impediments towards wider interest in cryptocurrencies, uncertainty over how to figure out what one owes in taxes. The proposal would establish a bespoke tax form akin to the 1099s stock market investors are used to dealing with. Where an IRS rule, sorry, were an IRS rule to pass before any of the crypto proposals from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, it would clear the first major hurdle in U.S. crypto regulation, establishing an official status for digital assets in U.S. finance, even as Congress continues to stumble in its debate over future crypto market laws. Okay, <clears throat> so there's, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to want some kind of, you know, what do we do? How do we report? You know, is it first in, first out? There's all manner of stuff that questions that have yet to be answered by the IRS. This one, this this whole thing that I just read you, um, this U.S. tax proposal, we got up in arms about it last month. In fact, that's where this whole Le, Le Sea Punk Army's treasury raid came into play. What was the treasury raid? All right, Le Punk basically put together an AI bot that was specifically designed to write a letter for you and send it as a comment to the IRS on these proposed rules. This, this IRX, IRS crypto regime tax thing, right? I did that letter. I made one of my own letters using the AI bot just to, you know, honestly to send a letter, but I didn't want to write it either, right? This is the apathy that we get into. Even I'm guilty of it. So Lassie Punk, who knew, knew that nobody was going to write a letter in because we are apathetic. And this is how we've like literally gotten rid of so many of our rights, not only in this nation, but in, definitely in the West and might as well just put the whole world in that basket. That, that's the apathy of which I speak. We just don't want to sit down and write one more letter to a bunch of jokers who aren't going to read it. And this is where AI, I think, really kind of shined a little bit. Was okay, fine. 
you don't want to write it, I'll write it for you. And it wrote thousands of letters. And because they are comments from people's email addresses directly to the IRS in their comment gathering phase, they have to read every single one. They have to read them. They have to read 120,000 comments. And I guarantee you the letters, I, I, would, I would imagine that the majority of the letters written were written by this AI. And they are not nice letters. Now, they're not, they're not abusive letters, but they're basically saying this is a bad deal and you should not do it and I don't want you to do it. This is, I don't know if, this, if there's ever been anything that has gotten this many letters. If it has, probably not much more. But this is where AI can really do a service, an actual honest-to-God service, or at least until tax authorities and the rest of the United States government eventually change their tune and figure out that they can you know, maybe use an AI filter to see if it was written by AI, it gets thrown out, and they'll make some kind of procedure for that. But until that day, we need to be leveraging these tools to do exactly this thing for everything. If the United States government, no matter what the committee, no matter what the agency, no matter who it is, if they ever open up something for comment, this needs to be employed. This AI letter writing bot should be employed by every single person that gives a shit about whatever issue is being contemplated in Washington, D.C., because chances are good, it's good for them and not for you, so fuck them. Write them an AI letter. And this is something that if, I just want want to see this more often. I wish I could build these bots and just deploy them myself. I can't code my way out of a wet paper bag. You've heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. This is when I depend upon developers, and so do many of the people that are out there listening to my voice. This is why developers are so important. This is exactly why developers are important. Now, let's move on to Justin Sun. (laughs) Poloniex has been hacked for at least $126 million. Uh, Decrypt, Stephen Graves, and Liam Kelly. Poloniex. A crypto exchange owned by Tron founder Justin Sun has seen more than $126 million worth of crypto assets exit one of its wallets as the result of a hack incident. There has been an incident. The transfers were first flagged by blockchain security firm PeckShield. Blockchain Explorer Etherscan shows a series of transfer from the Poloniex 4 wallet to the hacker's wallet, including ETH, Tron, USDT, TUSD, and meme coins, including Pepe, Flocky, and SHIB. It's not just on the Ethereum blockchain either, by the way. Additional blockchain data collected by Arkham Intelligence shows that over $288 million, or sorry, $288 million in Tron's native token TRX and 865 Bitcoin were also pilfered, bringing the total to over $126 million. Looking closer at the hacker's activity, after assets are sent to one of the attacker's wallets, it's then sent to a second before assets are swapped for primarily USDC using MetaMask's swapping feature. In one instance, however, the hacker appears to have fat-fingered at least one transaction, sending $2.5 million in stolen Gollum tokens to the token contract rather than the secondary addresses in their control it will be impossible for them to recover this sum. 
A tweet from Poloniex's customer support account initially stated, its wallet has been disabled for maintenance. We will update this thread once the wallet has been re-enabled. Following the incident, Justin Sun himself tweeted that the exchange was currently investigating the Poloniex hack incident and that the exchange maintains a healthy financial position and would reimburse the affected funds. Sun stated that the exchange was collaborating with other exchanges to facilitate the recovery of the appropriated funds. Speaking to Decrypt, security researcher officers' notes suggested that the hack could be attributed to compromised private keys, malware, or social engineering, so nobody knows how the hack actually occurred. It's probably not compromised keys. It's most likely social engineering. That's my take on it because it's being social engineering is very, very effective. It has been very effective. It's become even more effective. And that's a place where AI doesn't shine because I think that that's why social engineering is becoming as competent as it has become because people are employing AI to write in a more natural language in a different language other than the hacker's own language. So therefore, they can look more credible and really rope people in no matter where in the world they are because of the translation abilities of AI from one language to another. Because you remember, you'd get these emails and it was obvious that it was written by somebody else from a different country and they were trying to write in English, but it was so bad that you just knew it was a fucking scam. Yeah, those days are over. Social engineering attacks are going to get more and more prevalent. They're going to be become more and more effective. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. But now Poloniex is in the crosshairs and Justin Sun is saying that all funds are SAFU. Now, let's get into a couple of announcements here. Nostrasia Hackathon recaps winners, awards, and honorable mentions. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. Winners and awards. The overall winner and uh, in the builder's track, Enuts. Quote, Enuts is a strictly typed mobile cache wallet that has lightning support and can connect to multiple mints. A Noster integration, thank God, allows seamless transactions between you and your Noster contacts. The Cashew TS library and SQ Lite are used to manage the Cashew-related features. Now, in Marketplace and Value for Value track, Shopster. Quote, Shopster is a global decentralized marketplace built upon Noster using Lightning and Cashew. In the Empower Communities track, the winner is Zaptit. Zaptit is a Reddit-style Noster client with a fresh outlook on Noster. <laughs> Follow topics and communities, not just people. Zaptit features a great onboarding wizard that builds your follow list by asking you a series of simple questions. Nice. Honorable mention, Noski. With Noski, by wrapping the Noster key in a FIDO2 protocol, aka passkey, you can handle your account in a common and well-known way. Semi-finalists are Joinster, SplitSats, uh, XK6 Noster, Weave data- Database, uh, Cash, no, sorry, CrashGlow, Nosta, Formster, and Goodster UI. Now, uh, Flockster. I want to talk about Flockster. Uh, events and meetups 
on Noster. This is brought to you from NoBullshitBitcoin.com. Actually, it's NoBSBitcoin.com. But uh, Flockster serves to enable users to create and manage events completely on Noster. This is done by utilizing the event types described in NIP52, mainly KIND31923 for calendar events, KIND31924 for calendars, and KIND31925 for RSVPs. Building this events infrastructure on Nostra will allow community organizers to directly connect with their flock, get it, quote, flock, and seamlessly set up in-person meetups and events. I built Flockster using Next.js as the front-end framework. I was able to utilize NDK, Noster tools, and the Git Albi SDK and a few other Noster packages to help me in my development process. Since the space does not yet have much built out in calendar events, I had to figure out most of the UX patterns on my own. I think that what I've come up with provides an elegant and familiar user flow and should be seamless for users to start adopting. Try it out at Flockster, F-L-O-C-K-S-T-R dot com forward slash explore. And I uh, I, I kind of have done that a little bit. I've, uh, I haven't set up an event or anything, but I've gone over to Flockster and looked at it. It can be a little wonky, all right, in, in loading up. Uh, but you've just got to give the developers breaks because these guys are putting, they are shipping stuff faster than we can even ingest them. And one of the things that I see people having problems with or, or start to bitch about is, oh, it's not smooth. Oh, it's bumpy. Oh, it's a little wonky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gut up, man. I mean, come on, dude. It's, these guys are putting stuff out faster than I even think most of these developers are actually surprised at how fast they themselves are putting stuff out. So let's just kind of cut them a little bit of slack, all right? But it's got a good UI. It it looks good. It looks slick. It does what it's supposed to do, but it, Flockster, is brand new. So if you have like a Bitcoin or Lightning or Noster meetup event, or you just want to throw a birthday party or whatever it is where you want to tell other people what time and where you're going to be and you want them to come, Flockster is basically one of a set of tools for you to be able to do that. I do hope it catches on. Now, last up, Noster bounties for Noster nests. Now, while this has been posted for at least 31 days, I want to remind you about Noster nests. And, uh, well, let's see what's going on here with this announcement. This was the original announcement. It's a 1 million sat bounty for the following improvements on Noster Nests, which is a way for you to sort of have an audio chat with people. It's sort of like the way that uh, Twitter Spaces is or was. I don't know if it's actually still being used. And uh, there was a couple of other things like it. Noster Nest is the Noster version of that. And there's 1 million sats bounty for uh, room presence like uh, raising or lowering your hand to speak, uh, different reactions, zaps, exiting the stage. There's room management, like removing and adding people to stage and moderators, changing room information on the fly, uh, handling stage exit logic. 
Room Discovery, allowing users to discover different nests, NIP53 and clients, and like a home page. Room Chats, NIP28s, Individual Nest Chats, Reactions to Comments, Zaps to Comments and Replies, Design, Design UI Elements, for new components such as improved homepage, nest discovery, etc., etc., must be compatible with the existing design. Audio, general room audio, both back end and front end. And groundwork, the groundwork for nests has begun and is located on our private Git. You can find that at git.semisol.dev. That's semisol, S E M I S O L.dev, nostroplebs forward slash nests. Um, all right, so not, some of these things have been done because this, you know, this bounty is, you know, 31 days old. There are ways to raise your hand in Noster Nest so that things like that have been done. But what I have not seen done yet is a Noster chat that goes inside the Noster Nest as I'm talking. There should be a scrolling chat screen so that people can ask questions People control each other. People can throw up emojis. They can, you know, I don't know, ask each other questions. They can present topics. Without a chat room in Noster Nests, then Noster Nest just, it's just not as, I was about to say compatible. That's the wrong word. It just doesn't have the oomph for me to, to really dive it back into Noster Nests because I've got Zapstream which I'm not doing today because I had to take my kid to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. And it just, it just didn't work out for me today, but I've got Zapstream, which does have comments. If Noster nests, if this is my opinion and my opinion only, if Noster nests wants to continuously improve itself and become something that even I use on a, on a monstrous basis, um, it's going to have to have a chat. And if it's going to have a chat, it's going to have to have zaps for that chat. But it's the chat room that I think is most essential. It's the one thing from Noster Nest that's missing that it really would have the highest of utilities. So even though it, I'm not sure it's actually mentioned in here. Let me see the zaps, uh, changing room information. Individual Nest chats is mentioned and zaps to comments and reactions to comments are indeed mentioned, but I don't I don't see them in there. And so it seems to me that if you can design a chat room for Noster Nests, um, that that would be good. All right, that's it for the news. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and leave it here because right in the middle of this entire thing, I had to go take my child to the... Uh, orthopod or orthopedic guy that we call them orthopods. I don't know why, but uh, orthopod to go get his thumb checked out because it was fractured. He's doing well, but it really cut into the release time on this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and call it quits and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.